reaching up, reaching over, and reaching out. We are New Life Christian Fellowship. For service times or recordings of our weekly messages, please visit us online at www.nlcfchurch.org. Um, I was going to read it as well. Now that you've done it, I'll, uh, I'll actually go back and we'll, we'll open up. We, we see sort of, as, as Paul introduces this letter that he's writing to the Philippians, fellow believers in Christ, but we'll actually go back to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And we'll see before Paul's first visit to the Philippians. Acts chapter 16, beginning of verse 6. And so Paul is... Paul is we're very familiar with who Paul is. He's a servant of Christ. He's been saved on the road to Damascus. God had specifically called him for a specific mission, and he was going to show him how much he needed to suffer for Christ and him who had caused so much suffering towards Christians. And now as Paul is a servant of Christ going around planting churches, sharing the gospel, sharing the good news of the faith, they're seeking the Lord's will and where to go. And so we pick up in Acts chapter 16, verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we remained in this city some days. We'll stop there. The text goes on to to talk about what happened as Paul began to share the gospel there in Philippi, and we'll talk a little bit about that this morning, but before we do that, I want to pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to your servant, Paul. You faithfully led him by your spirit to the places that you wanted him to go, and we thank you for his example of humble obedience. We recognize that the fruit that came as a result of his obedience is from your spirit's work in the heart of the Philippians as they heard the gospel, and so we praise you. We humbly come to this letter in the, Philippian, in the book of Philippians this morning, recognizing that it was written by Paul, and yet it was divinely inspired by your Holy Spirit, so that the words are exactly the words that you would have for us to have this morning. Those words were meant to encourage and instruct the Philippians, and they have been included in our Bibles so that we may be encouraged and instructed by them as well. Lord, we praise you for your word, and we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit to lead and guide us so that we might hear, and in hearing that we might understand, and in understanding that we might obey, and so experience the joy and blessing that you offer those who trust you. And we ask these things not because we deserve them, but because it is your joy to give the good gift of your spirit to your children who ask. Amen. So Paul visited the church of Philippi, and 
And on his first visit, it wasn't a church yet, on his first visit to the city of Philippi, he began sharing the good news of the gospel. And what we learn in Acts chapter 16 is that there was a woman, Lydia, who accepted Christ. And this early church began to grow and began to thrive, and likely, very likely that it began meeting in her house. And as he continued to minister in Philippi, we read of a demon girl, a girl who had a demon in her, and Paul cast out the demon. Well, this resulted in him going to prison, and in prison we read of the Philippian jailer who's converted, and Paul goes to his home and his entire family trusts in Christ. And so we see the beginning stages of a church, of people who accept the gospel, whose hearts are transformed by the good news of the gospel. And so Paul built up this church, and then he would move on. He would go. His desire was to preach the gospel where it had not been heard yet. And so his desire was to plant other churches. And we read, the scriptures tell us that two more times Paul would visit this church in Philippi, twice on his third missionary journey. And it's a few years after his final visit to the church of Philippi that Paul is actually in prison because of the gospel. He's preaching the gospel, and he eventually gets thrown in prison. Well, it's during this time in prison that the Philippians send him a financial gift. And this wasn't the first time they'd sent him a financial gift. They had been supporting him from the very beginning, as we're going to see from the very beginning until the current day of him writing this letter. But they also sent him Epaphroditus, who was going to be a help to him. And so during that time when Epaphroditus is there, he becomes very sick and he almost dies. And so the Philippians were so concerned for Epaphroditus that Paul decides to send him back to the church at Philippi. And it's here that Paul writes this letter to send back with Epaphroditus to the Philippian church. And that's why we have this letter. And I believe it was Brian. Is it Brian who read us the passage this morning? Ryan. Oh, thank you very much for doing that for us, brother. And we begin to see this letter as he's introducing and, and thankful and for all that God had done through this church and through their support of him. Now, the first time I heard the name Marie Kondo was from my wife a few years ago when we lived in Kentucky. And for those who may not know who Marie Kondo is, she is a very well-known Japanese organizing consultant. She's written four books, which have sold millions of copies, and she's, this book has been translated into 30 different languages in 30 different countries. And she became very popular here in the U.S. and in Canada through a Netflix series called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. In each episode, she visits a family that's in dire need of organizational help, and their houses are a disaster, and it's a chaos, and, and she comes in, and she gives them tools and tips and tricks to, to organize and to give joy in their home through organization and tidying. And so each family is unique and has different backgrounds, and in each episode you see a different family, and, and she gives tips to the viewer as well for, for hands-on guidance. Now, I've not watched the show myself, but as my wife began to watch the show, I began to notice changes in our home. My underwear were folded differently. There were baskets beginning to take place in the, in the pantries and the shelves, and things were beginning to look organized and tidy and, and structured, and, and we would go into rooms, and, and things were laid out differently, and there was simpler, and, and most interestingly of all, things began to disappear. This is because it is a very important part of organizing is 
decluttering. It's getting rid of things that you no longer you no longer need. And and some of you maybe know that this is harder. Some of you maybe struggle with this more than others. Let, letting things go. We we all have a bit of a hoarder's heart inside of us somewhere, and we like to keep things. And so to help her clients decide whether or not to keep something, Marie Kondo uses this now famous question: Spark joy. Spark joy. She encourages them to take the item. They're deciding, I don't want to throw this away. And she's like, hold it in your hands. Feel it. Hang on to it. And then pay attention to your body's response. Is there a heightened response to this item that, that it sparks joy? Or when you hold it, does it lower? Does your, body, does your body have a lowered response? Does it feel weighed down as you're holding or looking at this item? And so if the item sparks joy, if it gives you an excited feeling to, to hold this item in your hands, then it's worth keeping. I was watching one interview where, where she was talking to a guy, and, and he was talking about a pen that he really liked. And she says, he's like, I would really like 50 of these pens. These pens are just so great. And she's like, does it spark joy to have 50 of those pens? He's like, absolutely. He's like, well, then you have to have them. <laughs> and so it's this sort of thing. And she actually goes on to say that her mission my mission is to spark joy in the world through tidying. Now, I know that tidying does spark joy for my wife. She has great joy from, from making our home decluttered and, and organized and structured. The problem with this sort of joy is that as soon as something is not tidy, then we don't have joy. And so this is sort of one of the problems with our joy is that our joy can be dependent on the wrong things. This is why we struggle to keep joy, because we're trying to find joy in the wrong sources. These things actually end up stealing our joy. Warren Wearsby, in his commentary on the book of Philippians, talks about four thieves that rob us of our joy. Those four thieves are circumstances, we're looking to circumstances to give us joy, and, and circumstances we know are largely out of our control. We don't have a say in what happens to our lives. Another thief that robs us of our joy is people. Things that people say and do. We all know that when we focus on, on the negative things that other people say and do, we can be robbed of joy. Things. We think that our joy comes from stuff. And so we try to find our satisfaction there, but then we actually realize that it doesn't give us joy. And the last one is worry. Worry can rob us of joy as we just think about things that could potentially happen, and we're just worried and, and stressed and weighed down by these things. And they rob us of the joy that we could have. And yet if we look at each one of these thieves, Paul should have been the most miserable man on earth. He was in prison. He had been wronged by people. His circumstances were terrible. He didn't have luxuries that we had. He had been treated harshly by people. He didn't have anything. And he had lots of things that he could be worrying about. We know that one of the things that he stressed about was the churches that he planted. And he could have allowed these things to dominate his thinking. And yet, the book of Philippians is the most joyful book in all of Scripture. Throughout the book, he mentions joy or rejoicing or being grateful at least 19 times. And so one of the greatest things that we learn through this book is the secret to joy. Joy that goes beyond circumstances, beyond how people treat us, beyond the things of this world. 
and even beyond worry. And what we're going to see this morning is that one of the sources of joy for Paul was the fellowship that we have in Christ. Christian fellowship sparks joy. Paul and the Philippian church had a deep, intimate relationship in Christ. And this sparked joy for him even as he wrote from prison. Now how is it that Christian fellowship sparked joy for Paul? Well, we're going to see that this morning. First, we're going to see that Christian fellowship sparks joy through partnership. Paul has joy through the partnership that they shared. We remember that God had given him success in planting this church. This church supported him right from the very beginning up until the present day. And they continued to minister to his needs. They sent him a financial gift even in prison. As soon as they heard of his need, they sent him a financial gift. They sent him Epaphroditus. Their goal was to be a blessing to Paul. And so, first of all, we see that, that this, this Christian fellowship sparks joy through partnership because joy comes from God's provision. We see this in verse 3 through 4. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Paul had recognized that the reason he had this relationship, this Christian fellowship, was because of God. I thank God in all my remembrance of you. God is the one who bore fruit through the gospel to, bring the, to, to, to raise up this Philippian church. God is the one who blessed him with these friendships and these deep Christian relationships. And so Paul thanks God. And he has joy in God's provision of these friendships that he has. Joy comes from God's gospel. We see this in verse 5. These Christian relationships spark joy in God's gospel. It says in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The joy that Paul had came from his relationship with the Philippians in the gospel. What greater news did they have than to know that they had been saved from their sin? And so the Philippians felt so thankful to Paul as he is the one who brought the gospel to them. This is what felt they, why they felt so compelled to help him, to minister to him, to bless him, was because he had brought the gospel to them. And so this brought Paul great joy as they shared in the unity that comes in Christ because of God's gospel. And this promise brought with it a great promise. Joy comes from God's promise. Verse 6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul's joy in this partnership comes from promise. I'm not confident in my ability to minister to you because I'm in prison. But my confidence comes from God that he is going to complete the work that he has started in you. And this gives Paul joy. The Philippians were going to stand before Christ holy and blameless, not because of anything that they could do, but because God was going to complete his work in them. My sister and her husband celebrated their 13th, 13th anniversary this past May, and, and my brother-in-law had asked me to be in their wedding. I remember being a part of their wedding, and, and what we did for a, a guy's trip for a bachelor party was he actually bought us tickets to go to a Detroit Tigers game, to, to be in a suite 
in left field. And I remember as we anticipated that day, man, it was, it was the coolest thing ever. We, you could, there was a suite, all, all the chairs were in there. You could sit inside and you could watch the game on the TV and the air conditioning. And there was hot dogs and nachos and chips and pop. And you could just enjoy it. And you could go out on the balcony and then there were seats in the stands there that you could sit and watch the game. And, and it was really the best of both worlds. You got to enjoy the game. You got everything. And as we shared in that experience together, that is what made it so special. You know, if I had gone there and been in that suite all by myself, there wouldn't have been much joy in me being there by myself and getting to experience all those things by myself. The joy came in experiencing it together. And this is exactly the hope that we have in Christ. We have such a glorious hope in God's gospel and through Christ's sacrifice, and God increases that joy by giving us fellow brothers and sisters to share it with. And this gives us joy. Too often, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can find ourselves disagreeing and finding areas that we disagree and finding points of contention and things to argue about rather than expressing the gratitude that we have for sharing the gospel, for sharing the the unity that we have in Christ. And like Paul, we should give glory to God for the fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that we have. We know how valuable these relationships are because we think of other relationships in our life that don't go that deep, right? We all have family members, friends, coworkers, acquaintances in our lives that are not Christians. And we know that there's a certain level of shallowness to these relationships. They don't go deep. They don't go intimate. But our relationship with fellow believers in Christ, they do go deep. We're praying for one another. We're ministering to one another's needs. We're talking about deep issues, and there's a deep intimacy that happens there that gives us joy to know that there are people heading the same direction that we are. And so we need to focus in on that unity, and joy will come as a result of those relationships. Another reason for Paul's joy, our second point this morning, is that Christian fellowship sparks joy through circumstances. Remember that Paul was in prison as he wrote this letter for the sake of the gospel. And yet still, he was able to have joy. How? How is it that Paul is able to have joy while he is in prison? It was through the fellowship of his brothers and sisters in Christ who were partners with him. Through the fellowship that we have in Christ, joy comes from meeting one another's needs. This is what gives us joy through meeting one another's needs. He says in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. What did the Philippians do when they found out that Paul was in prison? They sought to meet his needs. They sought to bless him. They sought to give him the help that he needed. Now, You guys are going to learn as you go through this book that Paul is about to to go to court. He's about to make his defense. He's about to to decide. It's about to be decided whether or not he's going to be killed for his faith or whether he's going to be set free. And so they send him Epaphroditus. And so they're meeting to his needs. They're, They're giving him someone who can be of service to him and help him in building his case and helping him do what he needs to do. And this gives Paul great joy. So much so that he says to the Philippians, I hold you in my heart. 
the Philippians would have been excited to support Paul. We've again already noted that they would have felt indebted to him for bringing the gospel. God led him there through a vision. And if God hadn't done that through Paul, they wouldn't have received the gospel. And so this joy results on both ends, where they feel honored to minister to Paul because of what he's done for them, but he feels honored at their meeting his needs. And so this gives him great joy. The deep joy that comes from their partnership creates in them a longing to be together. And so this shows us that joy comes from being together. He says in verse 8, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Thankfully, there was a way for the Philippians to meet Paul's needs. And there was a way for them to stay in touch through letter. But this ultimately created a desire to be in person together. Communication was by letter. And so we know that writing a letter, you don't get an immediate response. You know, like our DNA, we get immediate communication. We can text and get an immediate response, but they didn't have that. And so there's a, a longing a meet to meet together, to sit down face to face, to hear each other's voices, to hug or to shake hands and to experience that relationship together. That joy, that joy of longing to be together enabled him to endure his difficult circumstances. If he were isolated and left alone, he would have been prone to more discouragement. But he had partners who were there for him in his deepest need. Now we live in a day and age where we have countless ways to stay connected. We can stay connected through text, through email, through social media, through FaceTime, and, and many, many other ways. Yet there are surveys that show 60% of people feel lonely on a regular basis. Loneliness has become so widespread that in May of this year, the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, issued a national advisory. Now, a Surgeon, General, Surgeon General's advisory is a public statement that calls the American people's attention to critical public health issues and provides recommendations for how it should be addressed. And the title of this particular advisory was Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation. They performed a study that found loneliness and isolation have profound negative effects on our physical well-being. U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy says, Research shows that loneliness and isolation are associated with a greater risk of heart disease, dementia, stroke, depression, anxiety, and premature death. In fact, lacking connection can increase the, the risk of premature death to levels comparable to smoking daily. They compared it even to, to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's what isolation and loneliness is like on your physical well-being. Paul was isolated from his fellow brothers and sisters, but not willingly. And even though he was lonely because he missed them, we know that his heart was full because of the relationship that he had and the desire that he had to be with them. Now, we have all had moments, maybe seasons of loneliness and isolation Though we are the most connected society has ever been, we may be the most lonely society there has ever been. 
And we have reasons to isolate ourselves, right? I mean, our lives are really busy, and so we, we can't get together. It, it takes a, a lot of times at the end of the night, after a long day, you feel tired, and there's not a lot of energy left, and it takes work and effort to get together with someone. And so it's easier just to stay home. I mean, I, mean, I got lots of projects I can work on. I need to get those things done. Besides, there's that, that series on Netflix that we've been really wanting to watch, and so that needs to, it's not going to watch itself, right? So we got to stay home, and we got to watch that. And none of those things are wrong, and none of those things are bad. But what we must realize that we are missing out on the joy that God has for us if we forsake Christian fellowship, if we forsake getting together. That latest season of Netflix is not going to get you through that dark season of your life. Finishing that project is not going to give you the joy that you think it will. It vanishes. And then there's a desire for something else. But, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are committed to God and His will, who are partnering with us and vowing to be there for us, they will be there for us during those difficult seasons of life. They will minister to our needs and give us joy as we gather together. Dr. Murthy went on to offer some keys for connection that I think are very suge fitting suggestions for the church. He encourages them to answer a phone call from a friend. Invite someone over to share a meal. Listen and be present during conversation. Seek out opportunities to serve others. You know what that sounds a lot like? Church. It sounds a lot like our brothers and sisters in Christ, doesn't it? Being connected in a group and a body of believers who are there for you, who we can share and have conversations with. We can share a meal and prayer and encouragement. We can listen and are there for each other to hear what's going on in their lives and to seek out opportunities to serve one another. And as we do, we will experience joy through that Christian fellowship that we have. How else was Paul able to experience joy in prison? Christian fellowship sparks joy through selflessness. We see this in our last point that Dr. Murthy suggests, right? Seek ways to serve other people. This is what sparks Christian, this is what sparks joy in our lives. Christian fellowship sparks joy through selflessness. Now when we think about Paul, if he had focused on just his circumstances, on what he was going through, it would have been very easy for him to be discouraged, to be weighed down, to, to be a complainer, to be a whiner. But that's not what he does. He focuses on the Philippians. And how does Paul maintain his joy through selflessness? By praying for them. He goes on to share of how he desires them to grow. We see the joy comes from seeing others grow in love. This is verse 9. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Paul had seen their love in action through ministering to his needs. And he experienced it. They had been supporting him. And they had shown their love. And yet what his prayer is that they would abound more and more in love. But notice that his desire is that their love will grow in knowledge and discernment. Christian love is not blind. It takes knowledge and discernment for us to know how best to love others. 
Our culture believes that love is affirming other people no matter what they believe, just simply affirming them with how they feel. And Paul knew that that love is empty. It's vain. As humans, we are sinful. We are sorry. We are wrecked by the fall. And so we can't trust our understanding of love. Our understanding of love must come from God and His Word. And so we need to grow in wisdom, in knowledge, in discernment as we grow in love. And so Paul knows that their love must be connected to their knowledge of God. And as they grow in knowledge of God and their love, they will grow in purity. And this brings Paul joy. Joy comes from seeing others grow in purity. We see this in verse 10. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. This is Paul's prayer, that as they grow in love, as they grow in wisdom and knowledge, that they would grow in purity. The word that Paul uses here for you may approve what is excellent is this word approve has the meaning to test, to examine, to scrutinize, to recognize that something is genuine after examination. Paul wants them to discern God's will and to grow in their ability to test what is true and to hold on to what is good. The result is that they will be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul is not talking about some sort of works-based salvation where if you do enough works and, and if you do enough right, then God will accept you and then you'll be pure and blameless. No, what Paul is recognizing is that they do need to work out their salvation. You guys are going to get to this in chapter 2. He, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's the work that Christ has done. He, he writes the, in the beginning of the letter, to the, all the saints in Philippi who are in Christ Jesus. They are already positionally in Christ. And yet because of our relationship to Christ, we now work out that salvation with fear and trembling. We strive for holiness. We strive for purity. And that's exactly what Paul wants. The idea here is that he wants them to be pure and blameless so that, you know, if someone's going to throw something against the wall that, that is, involves you, it's not going to stick. A beautiful example of this is Daniel, right? We read in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel, the, the Israelites are in exile because of their sin, and God sends them there. But God blesses Daniel because Daniel is a man who is faithful and committed to God's word. And in Daniel chapter 6, Darius wants to, to raise him up and make him second in command and set him over the whole land. But the other officials, the other satraps, they don't like it. They don't want it. They, they try to find something. we got to find something against Daniel that we can, we can bring him down. We can stop this from happening. And they find nothing. We read in Daniel chapter 6, verse 4, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Daniel was such a man of integrity that there was no accusation that they could give that would stick against him. This is the idea that Paul is trying to convey to the Philippians. Strive for that level of purity, that level of holiness and knowledge and wisdom. He desires them to grow so that in the day of Christ, there will be nothing that will stick against them. And through as they grow in this knowledge, as they grow in this discernment, the Philippians, they would 
it would result in their obedience, which would lead to fruit. Joy comes from seeing others grow fruit. We see this in verse 11. The result is that they will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The only way to have fruit that comes through Christ is to obey His Word. And so that is why Paul is praying that they'll grow in knowledge. Then their lives will bring glory and honor to God. What Paul understood is that Jesus blesses those who follow His Word, who walk by faith. It is this blessing that Paul is seeking for the Philippians. The thought of them bearing fruit that comes from Christ to the praise of God brought Paul joy. He was excited. And he wanted them to increase in this fruit. Paul was in prison and yet he was able to experience joy as he focused on the Philippians. Focusing on the growth of their love, the growth of their purity, and the growth of fruit in their lives. Had he simply focused on his own circumstances, Paul would have robbed himself of the joy that he had by being selfless. Now again, Paul could have focused on his circumstances. Some some commentators talk about the fact that Paul was so busy running around, God slowed him down by sending him to prison. And if he didn't do that, we wouldn't have the prison epistles that we have. We wouldn't have this letter to the church of Philippi if Paul hadn't been slowed down by God. And so we have this letter, this letter of joy that teaches us how to be joyful in circumstances because God slowed him down. Are our lives filled with joy? I confess that that I can tend to have a complaining attitude in my life. At our church, at LEMC, we've been going through a series through the book of Exodus. And over the last few weeks, we've been with the Israelites as they begin wandering through the desert. And and we all know that they are very prone to complaining, very quick to, to doubt God. And Pastor Jake has been telling us that that complaining as humans is our default. That's, that's what we instinctively go to in certain circumstances, in certain situations. We instinctively begin complaining. And Jake has been encouraging us to see the difficulties and the hardships that come in our lives as the ways that God is shaping us and molding us into the people that he wants us to be. And this is exactly what God did through Paul going to prison. God had allowed him to be there and use that as an opportunity to use Paul to minister to others. The reason that we are so prone to complaining is because we focus on ourselves. We focus on the problems that are in our lives. We focus on the things that we're frustrated about. We focus on the people who are frustrating us. And when we do, we're robbing ourselves of joy. And in those moments, we need to pray that God would help us to be selfless to look to others, to lift others up in prayer. And as we do, he will give us joy. Christ is such a wonderful example of this joy. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, or in in verse 2 rather, Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now what does this mean, this joy? 
In his book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland, speaking about this first, asked this question, what joy? What was awaiting Jesus on the other side of the cross? The joy of seeing his people forgiven. It was the joyous anticipation of seeing his people made invincibly clean that sent him through his arrest, death, burial, and resurrection. Christ is our example of giving our lives for the growth of others. To be a part of others growing in their Christian walk, in their faith, sparks joy in our lives. In July of 2019, my wife Jessica and I moved to Louisville, Kentucky with our family, and there we attended seminary. And, and while we were there, we were starting over. We didn't know anybody. We, we came from a church where we had relationships, we had friendships, we had family, but now we were away from all of that, and we had nobody, and it felt very lonely at times. And as we began to get to know people at the seminary, again, we, we knew nobody. As we began to try to find a church, we, would, we attended four churches, and, and the services were great, the messages were good, the worship was good, and then we would awkwardly walk to the lobby and pick up our kids and walk to the car and drive home and then we'd go home and it just was so empty. There was, there was no relationship. We had no people to invite us over. And then we finally landed at the church that we would eventually call our home church, Ninth and O Baptist Church, and there God blessed us with people. That first Sunday that we attended, there were three couples that came to us after the service and invited us to go for lunch and we eventually got rooted in a small group in that church, people who became very dear to us in friendships. And there were two other seminary families that we grew very close with, one of them that was in that small group at church. And it was in difficult circumstances that God used these relationships to give us joy in a season where we could have been isolated. We could have been lonely. In fact, we were at the beginning. But God blessed us with a church, and with friends to give us joy through the partnership that we had. Being united in our relationship to Christ gave us joy in these relationships. And when COVID came around and, and people secluded themselves to their, their small group of friends, we had people. We had people who were there for us during that season, and it meant a lot to us to have those people there with us through difficult circumstances and we found ways to support and bless one another and encourage one another. Relationships come with their share of difficulties, especially close ones. But if we avoid Christian relationships to avoid those problems, then we rob ourselves of the joy that we could have, the sustaining joy that comes through Christian fellowship. God blesses us with these fellow believers, these fellow brothers and sisters. And he gives them to us to remind us, to help us, to keep our eyes fixed on the heavenly prize that we have waiting for us. A joy that goes beyond circumstances, beyond anything that we could face in this world. And so this Christian fellowship gives us joy as we walk through this life. And so I would encourage you guys to lean in to those relationships. Lean in to these brothers and sisters in Christ that you have. Minister to one another during difficult season. Meet one another's needs. Share a meal. Listen and experience the joy 
that comes as a result of those relationships. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fellowship that we have as partners in your gospel. You have called and saved each one of us who has put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Through your spirit, would you help us to remain unified in our commitment to the truth of your word? Give us joy as we selflessly serve one another with Christian love, as we are conformed into the image of your precious Son, Jesus Christ, who died in our place so that we may have the joy of eternal life. Amen.